0: Welcome to another episode of Ask the Zamboni Experts. I'm your host, Doug Peters, and along with me today from the Zamboni Company is Marty Elliott. Our guest on today's episode of Ask the Zamboni Experts is Ross Bernstein. Ross is a world-renowned author and motivational speaker. Welcome to the show, Ross, and thank you for joining us.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Doug. It's great to be with you.
0: Well, we're, we're going to enjoy this, and I'm sure our listeners will, and it's always fun for me to have another Minnesotan, and I'm able to look into uh, my window here and see your awesome man cave that you have with all sorts of Minnesota memorabilia. That's awesome. Thank you. Ross, where did you grow up? And tell us a little bit about uh, yourself uh, growing up, where you went to school, that kind of thing
1: sure so i grew up in a little town called fairmont minnesota about six miles from the iowa border in the middle of nowhere where hockey was non-existent and as a 10 year old kid i watched the miracle on ice blew me away i begged my parents to let me play hockey and uh wound up going to the herb brooks hockey camp when i was 10. i met him i was the worst guy there i won the most improved award for the guy who sucks the most but i got into hockey uh Went on to become the star of my Fairmont High School slash Domino's Pizza hockey team. We were so bad our high school wouldn't even sponsor us. Wound up attending the University of Minnesota. Uh, wound up meeting a bunch of guys in the hockey team because I took a hockey class. It was a one credit FIED course, the underwater basket weaving class players taught for their scholarships allegedly. Got to know a bunch of guys. They convinced me to walk on. Um, I did. It was the thrill of a lifetime. Uh, I lasted about 10 minutes. I wound up trying to impress the coaches and uh, taking out our team captain Todd Richards, future NHL star, future NHL coach. Uh, he was wearing a Red Cross jersey today. I didn't know what that meant. I had the pizza jersey. Wound up leveling him, and uh, one of the assistant coaches flattened me. Then explained to me that that meant he was injured. I had no idea, but I wound up becoming the team mascot, Goldie the Gopher. You can see my giant smelly rodent head right there. (laughs) Uh, I don't think they ever cleaned that thing, but uh, I made lemonade out of lemons, became the mascot, had a lot of fun, got in a lot of trouble. Uh, I think the collective blood alcohol level of Mariucci Arena in the late eighties was about 14. So I, I got into a lot of trouble as a mischievous mascot so much trouble, a publisher approached me and said they wanted to write a book about all the trouble I've gotten into. Apparently, as I like to say, it's not appropriate to throw Kraft cheese singles at the Wisconsin band. Who knew? Uh, so anyways, I, I, I thought, well, who's going to want to read this book? But it kind of spawned the idea, and I wound up uh, leveraging my graduate school money to write and publish a book about the history of gopher hockey from Goldie the Gopher's point of view. My parents thought this was the worst idea in the world. It was destined to be a failure. The book became this cult bestseller and uh, 50 books later, I I somehow made a career out of it. So my long crazy story was, Uh, I got to know Herb Brooks as a kid. Later on, he was one of the first guys that reached out to help me write that first book. I later met him and became friends with him and wound up writing his biography. At at the time, uh, he had passed away tragically in a car accident. We were together at a golf tournament the day he was killed. So I now am the president of the Herb Brooks Foundation. So it's a full circle, crazy hockey story. But like you, I am so lucky that I get to make my career doing something that I'm so very passionate about being in the world of hockey.
0: That's amazing. With uh, Herb and your stories with him, I was fortunate enough as a young kid to have him as a hockey instructor at Faribault Shattuck at uh, Ken Yackel's hockey camp um, a long time ago. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. And just a a great guy. I uh, was flying into the Twin Cities on the day that he passed away, which was a a very sad and tragic day. He passed away uh, in a car accident, as you know, not too far from where my father lived. And uh, my father exposed me to Herb uh, as a kid, taking me to go for hockey games at the old Williams Arena before Mariucci was built. And uh, as my dad worked for the North Stars, I got to see Herb in action a little bit during the 1980 buildup to the Olympics, which was the and it still is the greatest event that's happened in my lifetime as far as sports go I have two kids and uh, nine grandkids so I can't say that um, <laughs> that surpasses that but it's it's up there and it's something that I like to give our friends to the north a little bit of uh, jabs about because of how great it was but he he was an incredible guy and um, just uh, sad that he was taken from us far too early
1: Absolutely, yeah. I'm I'm honored to be able to uh, carry on his legacy. I've written a couple of books about him. Uh, my newest one is called America's Coach, and I donate proceeds to the foundation. The foundation is all about giving back to kids—kids kids who uh, socioeconomically don't have opportunities to play hockey, kids who have special needs, autism, Down syndrome, kids whose parents are in Iraq and Afghanistan. So our mission is just to grow the game, keep Herbie's legacy alive, uh, keep doing. Uh, offering programming for for kids and to let them have fun. That was, you know, Herbie's big thing was to to be able to do more with less. To he studied the European style of hockey where they don't have as many rinks, so they were really champions of outdoor hockey, dry land training, and um, you know, just less parents. Herbie always said his dream team would be a team of orphans, no parents screwing things up. Just let the kids play structured, unstructured ice hockey. Just let them play. Let them have fun. Big. Kids, little kids, you know, and uh, eventually they'd figure it out. So that that's our mission is just to uh, keep it all going. So I'm very, very honored and proud to be a
0: part of that. Yeah, I'm a big disciple of his viewpoint of hockey, and it, it was that you build at the base and the cream will rise to the top, and you don't do the inverted pyramid where you spend yeah. all the money at the top and nothing at the bottom because if you don't invest in the future hockey players, eventually the hockey players will grow out of the sport, will uh, move into a different sport, uh, j- just different things. And, and it's, it, it, I, I realize that it's a balancing act, but uh, as I've had discussions with Uh, A good friend who is the executive director at uh, USA Hockey, Pat Kelleher, who is also one of our guests on a podcast. Um, I am a firm believer that uh, I'd like to see amateurs uh, play in the Olympics. I understand why that's not going to be, but it's just it'd be nice to go back to 1980 and think that that could happen again. But I I don't know if that's being realistic. Um, Have you ever had the opportunity to drive a Zamboni machine? I
1: did, I did. It was at a buddy of mine's bachelor party, and uh, it was awesome. I and I've and I was like, I studied it and studied. I'm like, I got this. I've watched, you know, I've watched it go around a million times, right? I screwed it up. I ran into the wall. It was. Now, granted, I allegedly maybe had a couple cocktails at that point because we had somehow convinced them to let us drive the zamboni. We we bought the ice time from like one to three a.m. That was when they were available, allegedly. I won't say where this was, but uh, it it was awesome. And there's just something magic about the Zamboni, right? We all grew up with it. We've seen it. And um, so it it was really cool. And it's just great to see the evolution. Another one of my favorite charities is the U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame. That I've done a bunch of work, written a bunch of books for them as fundraisers. And uh, I think they've got Zamboni number 4 hosted there uh, up on, on a pedestal, literally, with the old you know, the the auger track, you know, and it just, you can just see inside there and it's so cool and it's just see, it's so cool to see how, you know, they've evolved and they've become, you know, marketing tools and, and how you, and, and now just electric and, you know, just with all the um, environmental issues people are dealing with and and so it's great to see how uh, your amazing company has evolved and just helped to, you know, people think of, um take hockey for granted it's just oh you just run this there's so much science involved and and uh, you know up here in minnesota where, where i live uh you see all the people making their own zamboni right their own version on the backyard ponds and you just it's great so i just I, i'm such a fan of what you guys do and and uh when you asked me to be a guest on the podcast i was like yes i love zamboni so this is really cool for me
0: well it's interesting you bring up the u.s hockey hall of fame i don't know if you played in their golf outing that they had uh, yeah. Recently, but we donated a uh, cooler that uh, Doug Palazzari, who was one of our guests, uh, said Eblith. was one, was one of yep, he was from Eveleth and one of the guys that uh, we did on a podcast and uh, a guy that I've followed throughout his career and uh, was very happy that he was willing to give us some time. But uh, he said that that was a very popular item and I hope that it did well. Uh, it's uh, we feel that the U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame has it correct. Because they have Frank Zamboni as a member of their hall. And we hope that the uh, National Hockey Hall of Fame up in Toronto will get it right and put Mr. Zamboni into their hall because uh, it really, Mr. Zamboni and his invention uh, really changed the sport. And we feel that he's contributed, you know, maybe not to the level of Wayne Gretzky or Gordie Howe or Bobby Orr, but um, we feel that his product is what. Uh, help those guys become the great athletes that they were for sure how did you choose the path to become a motivational speaker and author or did it choose you uh (laughs) like when you were doing your book instead of uh your master's
1: well it chose me but you know a lot of it is about you know the, the pivot we're talking about that a lot right now but you know for me I could see early on as a as a as an author writing biographies and all these you know really fun sports books hockey books um, I could see early on that the book business was dying so in the early 2000s you know Walden Books Beat Alton's Borders they all went broke even now you know Barnes and Noble's hanging on by a thread you know they're recently acquired by a private equity firm and I assure you they sell more Caramel macchiatos, board games, tchotchkes, keys, greeting cards, and music, then they do books. And now they've got ebooks, which, you know, undervalue what I, you know, I write these books that are $25 books, but the e-version is, you know, five, six, seven bucks. But I gotta do the same amount of work. So I had to I had to leverage my content differently. So, you know, books became movies. Uh, one of the books I did, kind of cool, called The Code about the unwritten rules. I did a whole series of these books about fighting in hockey, it's, it's, it's not about fighting, it's about its about this honor code that leads to fighting. There's a uh, Players don't wear face masks as professionals because if you cheap shot a guy or take liberties to the smaller player or disrespect someone, then the code says you must be held accountable and you may lose some teeth but you will learn a very valuable lesson about respect. So it's about this honor code and that was turned into a couple of documentaries and then a few years ago we did a, a feature film with an academy award winning director called The Last Gladiators. It was really fun. Chris Nyland's kind of the star. He was the, the the tough guy for the Montreal Canadiens for many, many years, but I interviewed hundreds of enforcers, and it was just a fascinating look at a really small aspect of the game, right? Like the Zamboni. You can't have oculus Zamboni. It's not a huge part of the game, but man, it's a really critical, unique, and I love to dive down those rabbit holes and, and learn about that. So so a book became a movie. Um, another recent book was called uh, Wearing the Sea. Uh, there's my full disclosure, I had a full-blown stage five man crush on Wayne Gretzky as a kid. Uh, I've gotten to know him later in life. He's written forwards for a few of my books. I'm absolutely in love with the guy. But uh, there's a book I did about leadership called Wearing the Sea. And that was uh, a really fun book, but that became a speech. So now when I speak at leadership conferences, I talk about these great captains and coaches. So So books had to morph and change. So even now, as I am Visiting with you in my worldwide headquarters, or as my mother likes to say, my basement, where I'm doing virtual keynotes. And, you know, when COVID hit, everyone had to pivot and change. So um, I think that speaking chose me, but early on, I was. I was an average writer but a really good marketer. So I would, I loved doing book signings in the Mall of America and doing TV interviews and telling stories. I have a photographic memory. So I can remember names and dates and places and if I'm on an interview in Moose Jaw, I can talk about someone from Moose Jaw. If I'm on in Duluth or, or Anaheim so I could relate and you know eventually companies would say, "Wow, you know we heard your interview. Come come talk to our company. Come talk to our sales team." And that one led to another and you know now I I uh you know I keynote like 120 conferences a year I've spoken on all seven continents it's crazy so when I'm when I'm in South Africa we're talking about cricket when I'm in New Zealand we're talking about the All Blacks rugby team so people love sports it's a universal language and wherever I am I love I love talking about hockey. I love talking about Wayne Gretzky, these universal truths that we can learn from sports that apply to to business, to being a better leader, to customer experience, to just you know how we do what we do. Uh, how can we sell more Zambonis or sell more tickets to a hockey game or just provide better coaching or instruction or whatever that might be? So like you, Doug, I, I found a a career that, um, I was far too stupid to get a real job. So I, luckily I found a, a place where I can be at home and, and be passionate about it and, you know, hopefully help to change people's lives. So I, I'm just, I feel very blessed.
0: Well, that's interesting. Cause I, over the, as you enter my office, uh, it's got a sign that says the dumb sales guy resides here. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it, it's, it's interesting. Um, I'm, I'm going to tell you that I've kind of, plagiarize and I'm okay with that one of the statements when I asked you about did did your career choose you there's a, a young man Well, he's not so young anymore uh Travis Roy I don't know if you've come across him or not uh right. and Travis uh has used sometimes in life uh challenges or you choose challenges and sometimes in life challenges choose you he's very near and dear to my heart um I have known his dad for a long time I've known Travis uh, since before his accident, and he's a great speaker. I, again, one of the people we were fortunate enough to have on a podcast, and I, I, some of the things that I've heard in my life kind of stick with me. And that that's one of them. So it's interesting I, how how your careers come along.
1: Well, I I I'm honored you equated me in the same same breath as Travis. I actually met him within. Uh, a year of his accident, and I got his book. I, I think it's, it's 11 seconds. I can't remember it. Yeah.
0: The, yeah. Yeah.
1: Describing that first shift, and uh, you know, if you're a hockey player, you know, everyone can relate to that tragically. But what he's done since then is amazing. We got to go to a hockey game together. We brought him to a Gopher game, and we sat up in the up in the press box, and uh, with my wife and him and, and his dad, and it was just wonderful getting a chance to meet him and visit with him, and to see how far he's come and how he's um, turned that situation uh, around has been amazing. And he reached out, there's a kid, another kid from Minnesota, Jack Jablonski, who's on our board of directors for the Herb Brooks Foundation. Now he's working for the LA Kings. Similar situation, uh, played for Benilde St. Margaret High School and was uh, tragically had a, a neck injury and, and was paralyzed, And uh, but really has made incredible strides. One of just getting his degree at, uh, it's either UCLA or USC. I'm sorry if I got that wrong, but uh, Became real good friends with Jeremy Roenick, and and now has a foundation, and uh, working with the Kings, with the National Hockey League, so just amazing. But uh, it's always, you know, hockey takes care of itself, and when something happens, it's incredible how how the hockey world rallies, and they really come come to help um, people that are in those situations. So um, yeah, a great great guy, and and uh, yeah, I'm I'm honored to be uh, in the same breath as Travis.
0: It's a great family. His uh, grandmother, who was very kind, uh, passed away this year at 102 in May. She would have been 103 had she made it to September. And uh, just a great lady. Uh, Lee, his father, is an incredible man, and I just uh, I can't say enough uh, nice things. One thing, when I was reviewing notes, um, I noticed uh, your involvement with movies, and it. Was just recently that Robert Redford's son passed away, and I had the pleasure of having a lobster dinner with Travis and Lee and uh, Redford's son because he was considering doing a movie. They just couldn't get the funding on Travis's story. And Travis yeah. truly has taken a truck full of lemonade of lemons and turned it into lemonade. And he has uh, been uh, very inspirational in being able to provide life changing dollars to help people who have been afflicted by spinal cord injuries and I know he he's reached out to uh, Jack and I've I've had discussions with Travis about that and he says it's it's kind of a, a touchy thing because you want to offer your support but you don't know if that person is ready for it or not or their family and you don't want to be Debbie Downer as well by saying hey these are the kind of things that's more reality because I think everybody goes into it thinking hey I'm going to get back to walking again. And unfortunately, that's not the case for, for many, but um, I'm glad that you've had the opportunity. And if you met uh, Lee, you will he's a, one of those guys that uh, that you'll never, ever forget. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about your life as Goldie, the gopher and some of the antics and uh, things that you did as Goldie?
1: <laughs> well, it was, it was fun. Uh it was just a you know it's just a fun it's amazing how all these years later i still get recognized believe it or not as the uh, the crazy goldie you know back back in the late 80s when i was a walk on the 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 mascot was was a member of the marching band so it might have been some third chair flutist who would Put on that little furry costume. Well, I was too fat for that costume, so I had to wear my hockey uniform. And I they were tired of Bucky the Badger coming over from Wisconsin and beating the crap out of Goldie. So I'm like, all right, they need a big dude who can play hockey. So I'm out there, you know, first game. I bench pressed Bucky above my head and said, this, this is how things are gonna be now. And <laughs> so we we had to make we had to make a statement. Wisconsin's been kicking our ass in football and basketball for years, but at least in hockey, we uh, you know we we can show them a thing or two, so um. Anyways, it was it was just fun. And you know, that that first book I wrote, it was called Gopher Hockey by the Hockey Gopher. And uh, it just kind of launched my career. I was able to interview hundreds of former players and coaches, people in the media, and just get stories. And you know, that's that's what I am. I'm a storyteller, I'm a purveyor of of all this great history. You know, meeting guys like Glenn Sonmore and Lou Danny and Neil Broughton. I mean, I had a, you know, again, a full-blown stage. Man Crush on Neil Broughton. I got to skate uh, two, some, two years ago in the Miracle on Ice Fantasy Camp up in Lake Placid, and I got to skate with Neil Broughton in a game. It was just, I was like, what the hell? You know, it was just, it was so cool. And um, so just to meet all these people, and, you know, now to to somehow, you know, be at all these, you know, charity, celebrity, hockey tournaments, and golf tournaments, and to see these people, and to rub elbows with them, and write a lot of their books and share their stories and help them with their speaking careers and uh, I I just have to pinch myself and you know every year for our Herb Brooks Foundation golf tournament I'll get to golf with some young some young stud I was you know just recently golfing with, with Brady Shea it's like wow you know these kids are superstars they're 22 and they hit the ball 400 yards and you just you go what am I doing here so I'm I have a lot of gratitude. I feel very blessed, and it all came from that that moment of of being Goldie the Gopher, where I said, you know what, I can, you know, I, m- I remember my dad when I I had two brothers went on to get Ivy League MBAs, and they said, you know, I, I said, no, I I said, Dad, I don't want to I don't want to go to grad school. I want to work in sports. That's my passion, and I'm not going to be, you know, I, I, that's what I want to do. And I, I remember he, you know, you know, failure, disappointment, a lot of four-letter words, but when the book came out and it did well, my dad said, "Hey, he said I'm proud of you." But then he he told me something I never forgot. He said, "Look, I know you want to work in sports, kiddo. That's that's great, you know. But but look, you this is going to be a tough road to hoe. I mean, you got lucky with this first book. You, you know, these books have a shelf life of maybe a year. You have to reinvent yourself every year, and it's going to be really hard. You know, you get to raise money and publish the book. As a publisher won't work with you, and and it's, and he said you're not the son of the owner of a team. You're not a former player, but he said. If this is really what you want to do, he said, follow your dream. He said, follow your dream. Otherwise, you're going to spend the rest of your damn life working for somebody else who did. And I never forgot that. And so I'm lucky. I, I get to, I get to follow my own dream. And you know, when you're a solopreneur, you're on your own. Uh, you know, you, every year I got to book a hundred new clients. You know, it's, it's stressful. So, um, but you know what? There's, there's lots of opportunities. I'm I'm optimistic. It's challenging right now. You know, people are are, are pivoting. I, I don't like to say to, to to groups that we're all in the same boat because we're not. You and I are in good boats. We've got jobs. We we're working. We're our families are are healthy. A lot of people in really bad boats. It's a really tough time navigating COVID. We've got the election, and we've got you know. Uh, social injustice issues going on. There's rioting going on today in in, in parts of the world. There's, the economy is in shambles. And, you know, we've got hurricanes and forest fires and murder hornets, and there's all these things going on. So, you know, to be able to um, do what you love to do and to keep doing it, it's it's a special thing these days. So I don't take it for granted, I'm very lucky, but um, I think now it's just about helping people. I do it a certain way, you do it a certain way with, with, uh, with, with the products that you make, bringing joy to people's lives, and certainly through this podcast with just letting people listen and share wisdom and stories and to to provide a bright spot in someone's day. So um, I know that was a really long answer to a short question, but uh, yeah, I love being Goldie Gopher, and I'm, I'm, I'm loving the fact that even though times aren't great, that um, I get to be doing something that I feel like I'm making a difference.
0: That's a perfect answer. There's no uh, no time length or shortness, long. However, it, it's it's interesting to hear. And I made several notes while you were talking and uh, with your answer. I, I love solopreneur. I'm gonna pass that along to my stepson who is uh, visions himself as an entrepreneur, and he is. I am also going to share with you, if you don't mind, the passion I hear in your voice, and it's something I tell. Uh, young people now, when I talk to them, and I've got a couple of years on you. Um, I, I tell them that find something that you enjoy doing. And when I went to school after high school, I went to Brown Institute for radio broadcasting. I wanted to be a sports play by play announcer. I wanted to be the next Al Shaver. This was pre ESPN being what they are, pre, uh, you know, talk radio was before Rush Limbaugh. So all of that wasn't available. But I'm happy that I did it. And it's funny, now <clears throat> we are. Almost 40 years later, and I'm being able to utilize—if that's a skill—I don't know if I have it or not—but being able to utilize what I went to school for to do these podcasts. And I've thanked uh, the people involved with this. I thank Paul. I thank my boss, Greg Dean, and Frank Zamboni and Richard Zamboni because it's enjoyable. This, this is—I said—I feel guilty. I should be using vacation days when I do stuff like this because it's not really work. So I hear that, and I'm—I'm glad that your father also was telling you to follow your passions, follow your dreams, and I think that's great news for people that are listening to this to find that, to find what you really enjoy, because if you do, then it's not like working.
1: Yeah, and I think you you hit on something, too, like for your stepson, being a solopreneur, and, you know, one of the things I want to say, too, I talk to a lot of young people. Uh, I know a lot of young people listen to this podcast, but I would say, too, that, you know, the playing field today has been leveled. You know, when I wrote my first book, I literally had to beg, borrow, and steal my graduate school money uh, to write and publish that book. That meant I had to pay to print, you know, thousands of copies of a book that were going to be doorstops and Christmas presents for life if I didn't sell them. And it was stressful. And I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I'd never, I knew nothing about publishing books or editing books or reading books. If you saw my grades, you know, I'm, but that's what I wanted to do. And I just, I went for it. And if it failed, it would have really set me back. But today, you know, people are like, oh, because I'm at conferences and I meet parents. My kid loves sports, like you, and he he studies the statistics and he wants to. And it's like, then tell him to go do it. You know, any kid now can start a podcast for free. You know, you can have an e-zine, you can have a a blog, a vlog. There's no money involved. You can create a video channel on YouTube. You know, Justin Bieber didn't need a record label to become famous. So the playing field now. Anyone can be an author. You can make an ebook and create a PDF and put it on Amazon. So I don't like hearing people say, "Oh, I can't do that." BS. You can do that. You just got to think a little bit more creatively and realize the resources now that that you can do and and, and even this is so creative about you know, creating a podcast for zamboni what a wonderful way to connect with your consumers and people who are passionate about hockey and you're not trying to monetize it you're just having fun with it organically authentically and that's what's so cool about it and that's what people are going to tune in because you'll attract great people who have a great message and indirectly that will help grow your brand even more
0: well thank you for that it's it's something that i didn't quite understand this and that that's why i'm the dumb sales guy <laughs> and I just am blessed that people have allowed me the opportunity to have wonderful guests like yourself on this podcast. And, you know, for me, I was lucky enough as a kid growing up, I spent probably as much time at Met Center running around the back end of the building uh, as I did at home. And I've been able to interview Reed Larson and Dennis Hextall and Henry Boucher and the, the list goes on and people are like looking for, like there are hockey players and there are people outside of Minnesota and I'm going yeah but they might not be as willing to sit in on a podcast with me as they as the Minnesotans might be so i've got another question for you i noticed in your um in your bio that uh, you have a status with the Minnesota media that allows you access to these athletes can you explain a little bit more what that is and uh, do you have an official title or a card that uh, gives you free access to every sporting venue in the state of Minnesota?
1: Well, I'm a member of the media, so I get uh, access, and it's really a case-by-case basis with each team. So uh, something like the Minnesota Wild, they'll you know, issue a season-long press pass because I'll be at games, and I'll come somewhat consistently, and I'll do a lot of book signings at the Hockey Lodge, their main store at the XL Energy Center. Um, so I'm actually making them money because I'm I'm actually working with them as as a partner sitting there during games, but um, other stuff like the Minnesota Vikings and the Twins and and uh, the Timberwolves it more be case by case. So if I need to do an interview, I can reach out and say, Hey, I'm doing a new book love to get a press pass for this game, sure, it will set you up. So what that does, it gives me access to meet players, but I never like interviewing players in locker rooms. It's, you get that kind of bull Durham, hey, we're just happy to be here, gonna take it one game at a time. We're gonna get pucks deep. You know, you get that same cliched. So I like getting guys' phone numbers and giving them a call, maybe when they're driving in their car and then you can get some stories. And that's what I like to do, is to be able to do longer interviews like this, where then you can sift through and pick out the nuggets of wisdom that are really good. And and meeting guys at, you know, golf tournaments and charity events, that's when you kind of build relationships organically. So, uh, but certainly having, access as a member of the media allows me the opportunity to meet these guys, to um, interview them, and it gives me a spot in the in the locker room, in the press box, in the dugout, in the sideline, and and then the relationships go even further when I meet them at the charity events and so forth. But um, yeah, it's all about the interviews, and I, I'm not winning any Pulitzer Prizes. A lot of my books are anecdotal with lots of quotes, but people don't wanna hear from me, they wanna hear from these athletes themselves.
0: Your favorite Minnesota team and why?
1: Well, I loved the North Stars when they moved in 93, and yes, Norm Green still sucks. Anyone from Minnesota will appreciate that, I'm sorry. But uh, when they were hijacked to Dallas, uh, which was worse than the Herschel Walker trade, or the 1975 NFC Divisional Playoff game with the Dallas Cowboys and Minnesota Vikings, the Hail Mary, where Drew Pearson clearly pushed off. Not that I'm holding any resentment. I was six years old, but I still remember, just saying. Look, I love the North Stars, uh, old school. Like, like, What do I got? Like an old school, old North Stars pennant. I got all kinds of pucks and things and stuff all over. Um, love the Wild, but man, if the Vikings won a Super Bowl, and, and Marty, you could concur. It'd be like Toronto winning the Cup. They'd...
2: Yeah, the
1: lighting mean, <laughs> slash parading would go on for weeks, man. And and my purple are so bad, Doug. I don't even want to talk about how bad they are, but I love gopher hockey in Minnesota. That's a major sport. Uh much like Indiana basketball, Texas football, you know, we've got six division one hockey schools in Minnesota now, which is amazing. St. Thomas University just went division one, which is great. So that was a big part of Herb Brooks's mission. You know, we had Duluth and St. Cloud and Bemidji and Mankato. Uh, University of Minnesota, so that's which is amazing. So to get more kids playing is great, but uh, I love all of them. I'm a homer. Uh, I got pennants all over. I stick pins in them. I want to enjoy them. I, you know, my house is covered with all this stuff. Uh, So I I root for all of them, but uh, you know, the the North Stars and Wild are kind of split. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the Vikings. I'm sorry. I know this is hockey broadcast, but I love the purple.
0: Well, it's something that you missed out on a few things, and I'm glad to see that somebody else is as passionate about the push-off and the whiskey bottle that hit the referee in the head that I thought was a flag, saying we were going to be righted.
1: It was Corby's Whiskey, and the referee's name was Armin Terzian. (laughs) Some people called it justifiable homicide. (laughs) I'm just saying.
0: Yep, I wouldn't go that far. I don't like to see anybody get injured, but... That was a brutal non-call, one of the worst ever. There is still wide left where the guy uh, Gary Anderson misses his only kick yes. all I year long.
1: Please don't bring <laughs> and, it up.
0: And 41 donut, I think it was, when they got crutched at uh, uh, at Giant Stadium. So yes, I I can um, relate to and that. Of course,
1: at, and of course, who could forget this?
0: <laughs> yes. Well, and, and and Greg Greg Williams should. Uh, Um, should be banned from coaching football. I think that they might have actually been able to win the Super Bowl. They definitely, I think, would have won the Super Bowl the year that the Cowboys um, took them out. And I will add to that. I tweeted, not that I have a bunch of followers, um, but I did tweet that I think that it's about time that Dallas steps forward and takes Kirk Cousins off the Vikings' hands in exchange for, I'm thinking, two or three first-round picks would be okay, and then two or three second-round picks for Kirk Cousins. They could even throw in Andy Dalton if they wanted to for the Vikings to take that back to make up for the Herschel Walker trade and the Stanley Cup that Minnesota gave to Dallas when the Stars moved.
1: I would be be happy with a bag of pucks.
0: (laughs) For Kirk Cousins?
1: Sure. At this point, we just need to lose every game, and we can get Trevor Lawrence. But, Doug, this is what happens. Right now, we are thoroughly boring the crap out of all of your (laughs) listeners. You and I just went down a Vikings rabbit hole. This is what happens. To edit all this out.
2: I have to step in here. I've never heard two Minnesotians be so, so... What's the word I want to use here, gentlemen?
0: Negative? Negative? (laughs) Disappointed about your result? It's passionate. It's it's called passion, Marty, and it's something that See, at least, maybe not in your lifetime, Marty, because you're a young guy. The the Leafs at least have won Stanley Cups. The Minnesota Vikings have never. And, Ross, will they ever, will they ever win a Super Bowl?
1: I predict I'm going to be like that Cubs fan when the Cubs won it, like a guy who's like 109 years old, <laughs> and they roll him out on, on, right? That'll be me. So, yeah.
2: Okay.
1: I, I'm optimistic in the next 50 years we've got a chance. <laughs> That's what okay. I'm setting expectations.
0: So well, do the
2: Detroit sad. Lions. I've waited 53 years for uh, the Stanley Cup to come back to uh, the boys in blue. So <laughs> you'll have to wait maybe a little longer, Ross. Well,
0: my
1: first time in Toronto, I picked up the sports page. and I thought, this is really weird. There's not one mention of the Leafs in here. And then I realized, oh, they have their own section. <laughs> for a team that <laughs> won five games, I thought, oh. So, yeah, yeah. If, if Toronto wins it, like I said, man,
0: that, that city is going to – It's gonna burn. Look what they did when Vancouver lost. The Canadians can't handle winning a cup, and that's why the last one was 1993. How many? Let's see. That's 27 years ago. That the entire country with all their teams was able to win a cup. Come
2: on. Let me say. Post COVID, post COVID, 2021. This could be the year, gentlemen. Oh, this (laughs) is getting recorded too. Here
1: we go. Doug, I had a really cool experience. Three, two, three years ago, Patrick Waugh, who was on the last Cup team, 93, he was a rookie in the Canadiens that year. Patrick Waugh and Joe Sackick hired me to come speak at the Colorado Avalanche team retreat up in Vail. It was awesome. I, I got to spend the weekend with all the players and coaches, and and I got to talk pretty extensively with Patrick about but the pressure of being on the last, and he said that was more, that was like, he gets asked about that, like more than anything, just about being, and the, when will Canada, not his team, but when will a Canadian team win the cup? So it, it, there's a lot of pressure to uh, to bring it back.
0: Well, the NHL made it work out this year so that Canada actually got to see the cup because they had the finals in Canada, whether a Canadian team was playing or not. So that and that was, after I think. And the
1: Raptors won a title. So the Raptors it, got to hoist some hardware.
0: Exactly, exactly. So <laughs> we, we've we got uh, Marty just shaking his head. Marty's
1: Marty shaking his head. So, Sorry, Marty.
2: Welcome one, to one all other. All good, gentlemen.
0: One other question for you related to Minnesota sports. Will the Minnesota Twins ever, ever, win just not win the world series but will they ever win a playoff game again
1: i don't know we got a pretty good streak going what is it 19 straight playoff losses which is a record for any sport in north america i mean why would you want to jinx that let's just keep it going
0: i have family who my mom's still a passionate twins fan i've got a cousin who god bless her she she makes up for all the negativity that i bring to the world she if she says the word darn i think she goes to confession uh, a half a dozen times just for for getting excited and saying that so I, we talked a little bit before we got started about the um passing of a legend a, a true legend I never ever thought that Sid Hartman was going to die um a sports reporter the original uh, GM to the Lakers and LA Laker fans out here in California, please note that it's not because of the abundance of lakes in Southern California that the basketball team out here has their name. It's because they came from Minnesota, where there's 10,000 lakes. Were you? And this is the phrase I always loved with Sid. Were you a close personal friend of Sid Hartman's? Uh,
1: I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't. I think that's pretty rare air to be in that category. But Sid and I were working on a book together as of about five or six years ago. Um, I wanted to do a book about stories about Sid. I started, I wanted to do a book, not just about your version of your close personal friends, but everyone you ever meet has a story about Sid. And uh, unfortunately the book kind of went off the rails and uh, it's a long story. We were gonna give all the proceeds to charity and I was gonna tell stories, but uh, all I can say is not all the stories turned out the way I'd hoped they'd turned out to. So we had to we had to not do the book project, but um, as a kid, I grew up reading his column. and uh, for your listeners who aren't familiar Sid Hartman just passed away recently he was 100 years old he was he uh, started he went to school through the 8th grade and started selling newspapers so he worked at the Minneapolis Star Tribune newspaper for since he was, I mean for 80 some years and was working on his column he was still doing 3 4 columns a week at the age of 100 and a radio show and every day you you know you you go to the Vikings office, there's Sid. You go to the Gophers office, there's Sid, interviewing guys, looking for scoops. Um, interestingly, the only place you, you know, didn't see him very often was with the Minnesota Wild, or at Gopher Hockey. He was not a hockey guy. He was a basketball guy. In 1947, he convinced the owner of the Detroit Gems, the guy by the name of Maury Winston, he owned a jewelry store and thought it'd be a good marketing ploy to have a basketball team called the Gems. They won like one game. He bought the team for 15 grand and uh, he convinced these uh, kind of seedy Jewish mobster allegedly <laughs> kind of folks to uh, get the cash and buy this team. And he figured by virtue of them having the worst record, if they merged leagues, they would own the number one draft pick after the merger. And sure enough, it all came to fruition. They convinced George Mikan to sign with them. And Mikan was named as the NBA player of the first half century, a kid by the name of Mike Jordan won it for the second half century, but they won six world championships before they moved to Los Angeles in 1960. So Sid was the GM of the team and the beat reporter. So he would come out in the paper and go, I think the Lakers might make a big trade today. And then like a couple hours later, he'd say, newsflash, Lakers made trade. He just made the trade. It was like unbelievable. But uh A legend of a guy uh, a real tough dude you either loved him or hated him there was nothing in between but he knew everyone and uh, it was a tragic passing so guys like Doc Emmerich I mean the legends of the legends he was one of those guys and uh, I was I was just proud to know him
0: it's funny you talk about Sid not being a big hockey guy my dad when he worked for the North Stars had two season tickets that were part of his compensation package and they were on the west end corner just to the, probably be the north side of the goal in the corner. Uh, and as I've been told by my mother, I don't recall it, but Sid had seats right behind us. And I don't know if they were comp seats or what, but Sid and Chad, I believe his son, would yeah. attend the games. And Sid would elbow uh, Chad and say, are you, getting, are you getting good notes for me to use my column because Sid just wasn't a hockey guy and yeah. I had the opportunity to meet him one time years ago at the Metrodome which was a party site for uh the NHL one of the events from the NHL All-Star game when it was in St. Paul and I yeah. don't even, that's probably 20 years ago uh how long it's been yeah, it but yeah. it classic Sid walked up to him tell me, yeah my dad used to be a newspaper boy years ago and he didn't really care and he had he had stains on his tie from probably whatever he had been eating the last seven meals that he wore that tie for but he you know love him or hate him he was a great guy and i, I don't know if you saw the article that was in the paper that i believe the writer jeff uh, i can't i think it was jeff but the guy who helped sid the last few years yeah. wrote David wrote White. about yeah wrote about his experience and i thought that was spectacular and i loved reading all the the people that commented about what they thought of Sid or what their experiences were with Sid. I thought the star and trib did a great job of, uh, of talking about him.
1: Yeah, it's a great tribute and it's sad because of COVID we can't really have a funeral, you know, so there'll be a celebration at some point, but what people don't realize about Sid was the guy literally went to school to the eighth grade, but he died a multi, multi, multi millionaire. He owned properties and was very shrewd investor. And, uh, Gave a lot of money to charity very quietly, helped a lot of people. And uh, he was just an old school relationship guy with a walk around with an old tape recorder. And a lot of his editors, who I knew and worked with, would be responsible for transcribing his tapes and driving them around and looking for that next scoop. I mean, uh, we're very lucky in this market, you know, we're the 14th largest media market, but having two cities, Minneapolis and St. Paul, these two bickering sisters, like Oakland and San Francisco, and you know, Dallas and Fort Worth, I mean, they're very, very different. And, uh, Part of the reason Sid didn't like hockey is because St. Paul got the wild, right? St. Paul was always the, that's where the Civic Center was, the high school hockey tournament, which was bigger than the basketball tournament, was in St. Paul, so there was always that rivalry. When they built the Bloomington uh, Met Center, it was what I call the demilitarized zone, like Switzerland. It was exactly 18 miles from downtown Minneapolis and downtown St. Paul in this rutabaga field in Bloomington where the North Stars played because neither team could claim ownership to it and uh you know sid he there was that rivalry there, but uh you know he just he loved Minnesota sports, and he always said that Minnesota would be another frozen Omaha as he called it if we don't have sports, so when the Lakers came and proved they could be successful with Sid pulling these big companies, these fortune five hundred companies give them to bringing money, we got the Twins, we got the the Vikings in 1960, 61. So without that, Minnesota would, would would never be the place that it is today without a guy like Sid Hartman who really worked and was so passionate. But because we have these rival cities, we had guys like Charlie Walters, the beat writer for the Pioneer Press, or the, the notes columnist, always pushing Sid. And he hated being outscooped. When the internet came and Twitter came, anyone could out-scoop him. So he hated that and always wanted to make sure that he had the scoop and was out, was willing to work harder. And uh, just a fascinating guy, truly fascinating.
0: Uh, It's funny. You talk about uh, hockey and the division one programs in the state of Minnesota. I think a lot of that is directly attributed to Herb Brooks uh, getting St. Cloud state started and Mankato state, which is now Minnesota state and UMD's really taken on. and, And as a gopher fan, uh, I'm sad to see that uh, the U isn't in its rightful place, in my opinion, as the top dog, but it's great for hockey. We did a podcast with Luke Robitaille, who's the president of the Kings, who's very passionate about hockey. And I have told him, I said, I want to uh, trademark um, the new state of hockey, uh, which is California. And uh, people in Minnesota don't like to hear me say that because They think Minnesota is always going to be the state of hockey. And I bust the chops of some of my high school friends about it. And I go, look, how many NHL teams do you have? You have one. We have three. Okay. How many AHL teams do you guys have? You have zero. And we have five going on six when the Krakens team will show up in, in Palm Springs. So I think it's safe to say that California can be declared the new state of hockey. I don't know what your take is on that, Ross.
1: Oh, we will vehemently disagree, but uh, I was in California this week. I had three in-person events from LA all the way up to San Francisco, so I had a wonderful time there and uh, was happy to share some hockey wisdom with uh, with some of the folks in Cali. but uh, no, we, Minnesota, that, that's our thing and we're gonna we're, we're gonna stick to it. So you, you can't have it.
0: <laughs> well, when, when I create my fortune and amass untold wealth, due to California, the new state of hockey being trademarked. I'll, I'll share some with you. How's that sound?
1: Perfect. Sounds good.
0: Your bio, your bio talks about ethics and accountability. Do you find that these are becoming harder to find in athletes and business people these days?
1: Absolutely, yeah. Uh, as a professional speaker, my, my, my program is called the Champions Code, building relationships through life lessons of ethics and accountability from the sports world to the business world. And um, it's based on these two series of books that I wrote. I'll just explain it briefly, but one series is is, is about um, champions. I wrote these books, you know, Raising Stanley, Raising Lombardi, the whole series of these about what it took to hoist that trophy. I interviewed about a thousand professional athletes who, had all, who were all members of championship teams. I only asked them why. What was unique about that particular team? I was looking for trends and metrics and patterns like Jim Collins did in his book, Good to Great. And then the other part of that is the series called The Code, where I showed you the hockey fighting book, but there's codes in other sports too, like in baseball, why guys get drilled. So The Champion's Code is about winning with integrity. It's about what happens if you cross that line. There's this fine line between cheating and gamesmanship in sports and in business. And, you know, athletes are always looking for an edge. looking for this gray area. The, they're, they're always looking for some sneaky, nefarious way to, to cheat. The only sport where you can't do that is golf. Where there's a self policing mentality where you don't do that and but every other sport there you know and we try and we try and we try and you know push that envelope in business too especially when times are tough when things are down like now so integrity you know it's it, it it's it's doing the right thing even when no one's looking, so I brag about great teams great people great athletes great companies who choose to win with integrity, and that's what the champions code program is all about so i I love working with great companies and talking about how they they follow their moral compass. They don't wind up like Lance Armstrong and and Bernie Madoff going from hero to zero on my wall of shame. So they they uh, they do it the right way, and I try and celebrate them. And that's what sports is all about, right? You 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 can cheat, you can do things that don't work out. Even last night when the when the when the Dodgers won the World Series, we were talking about how they got robbed by Houston, and Houston had cheated with sign stealing. And that's what that book's all about. It's about those little nefarious things athletes are willing to do if you can get away with it. Is it cheating, sign stealing, or or, or an illegal curve? Uh, who could forget Marty McSorley, right? Uh, when when the when the Kings made it to the cup finals in, in ninety three and they called him out on an illegal curve for an enforcer, I mean, you know, we're always looking for those little little advantages, whether it's silicone in your jersey if you're a player or too much stick 'em, the old Raiders, I mean, what have you. There's always ways, whether it's a dive and it, right, remember Sid Crosby early in his career was known as a diver. I mean, is anything more, you know, more revered and or in, in hockey than a diver but you know hey if you can get away with it right get that penalty so there, there's that, that interesting gamesmanship uh, angle so yeah i try and celebrate it and equate it to business
0: it's kind of hard when you've got uh ownership and you you talked about the stickum that brought up the memory of just win baby when al davis uh didn't yeah. really didn't really right. care and it's not illegal i don't think it's it i can put this on Al Davis, but it's not illegal unless you get caught. And that that's the kind of thing that you ain't cheating. If you ain't trying, right? Exactly. Exactly. Ross, could you tell us about, tell our listeners about your books? I realize that you've got a bunch uh, that you have. uh, So it might not be easy to single them all out, but is there one or two of them that uh, were your favorites and were any more difficult to either write or come up with the research for them?
1: Oh well, I've I've written almost 50 of them. They're they're like your children. You don't love one any more than the other. The one I'm probably most passionate about is is America's Coach, just because it was with Herb Brooks, and you know when when Herb died, it was during the making of the Miracle, and I got to work with their producers a little bit and share a little bit of about uh, Herbie for the movie, which was great and the movie's wonderful as everyone knows if you're a Canadian this is your summit series this was ours and uh, the movie you know they got it right they hired hockey players they could teach you to act versus actors they could teach you to play hockey and that's why the, the hockey's so good that's how we love it another one of my favorites is a biography I did with Dave Hansen, uh, of course from the Hanson brothers uh, you know when Anaheim won the cup Brian Burke is a friend he was the GM of the team and he said when they won it all the coaches huddled in that moment and they all looked at each other spontaneously and they said And the Chiefs are champions of the Federal League, right? If you're a a hockey player, you've seen that movie a thousand times, right? And they all just said it like organically. And uh, working with the Hanson brothers, I mean, those guys can't agree on who farted. It was hilarious. But uh, I also got to interview Paul Newman before the book came out. And Paul said he never had more fun making a movie. He drank more beer than he could ever remember in his life. And uh, he said when they were interviewing actors and in those days, guys like, Nick Nolte, Donnie Most from Happy Days. They were renting ice time in LA. They were hiring hockey players to teach him how to play. They all wanted to work with George Roy Hill, this famed uh, producer from St. Paul, to do the movie with Paul Newman. And eventually Newman's like, you can't fake this. You got to hire these Hanson brothers. You got to hire these Carlson brothers from Minnesota and you know, to, to do this. They, we can't teach someone to do this. So, just getting the backstories and sharing this and, you know, stuff like that is where I just feel like, oh my God, I pinch myself. Just being a fly on the wall and, and meeting these guys and at all the charity events, they're the most popular players. I don't care. Gretzky could be there. You name it. Everybody wants to hang with the Hanson brothers, right? Those guys are hockey royalties. So it's just fun doing all kinds of stuff like that.
0: Well, Dave is a great guy and I've been lucky enough to meet him. He runs the Robert Morris University. Yeah ice rink out on Neville Island in Pittsburgh. He still has the mullet, which is classic, (laughs) and he's one that I'm hoping we'll be able to get on uh, to do a podcast as well. Maybe you can put in a good word for us uh, with them when you talk to him.
1: With the Herb Brooks Foundation, we had a parade in St. Paul for the anniversary of the Miracle, and we were together in a float. It was pretty awesome, but uh, yeah, I'll connect you with Dave. He's a great guy.
0: You've been involved with NBC Sports uh, per your bio. Can you tell us a little bit about that and um what uh you've done with with that organization
1: yeah you know i've been lucky i've done thousands of interviews over the years but uh, i was able to dive deep on two really cool hockey shows um on nbc sports they've got one called uh rivals and um there's another one that's name is is escaping me at the moment but uh they're these greatest kind of top top uh top defensemen top they're always There's sort of these Top plays, so and it's kind of fun because they keep repeating them. So I get emails from people that will say, "Hey, I saw you. And I, I'm one of the talking heads. You know, they'll have they'll do an interview with like Sidney Crosby and Doc Emmerich, and then I'll show up. Like, what's wrong with this picture? Maybe sharing some story as a from a journalist perspective. So um they're just fun, but they 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 show them a lot. Uh These top ten shows. So the top ten defensemen, top ten whatever. But NBC Sports airs them and. uh so yeah, I'm a, I'm a media whore. Wherever there's a program, I'll, I'll go. You know, I I never say no. They're always fun, and I just have a blast doing them.
0: I was very fortunate to meet Kenny Albert uh, at the All Star Game this year, and uh, he was gracious enough to do a podcast okay. that hasn't hasn't been released yet did you get the opportunity? Have you worked with Kenny? He's just a wonderful guy. And I look at it and go, a guy, your stature, a guy, his stature, that's willing to spend time with me. Uh, I'm just like a kid in a candy store or a kid waiting for Christmas right now. Uh,
1: well, Kenny's way above me, believe me on the food chain. But, uh, first time I met Kenny, I was, I had my first book out about Herb Brooks called Remembering Herbie. That's the one I did right away. I worked with his family. Uh, we created the foundation and, um, out in New York at Madison Square Garden. He was kind enough to let me let me come on and, and talk about the book. And and uh, and now I see him when he's in town doing Vikings games. So occasionally I'll pop my head up in the box and, hey Kenny, how you doing? And so yeah, great guy, legend, the whole family, right? His dad, uh, just a broadcasting royalty. So yeah, it's always a thrill. That's the thing again with hockey players. They're just, when hockey players get rich, they buy pickups and fishing boats. Right, you know, some of the newer, younger guys uh, from across the pond tend to spend their money on faster cars, but typically that's part of the code of hockey is that if you get kind of too big for your britches or too cool, someone, you know, you're spitting Chiclets, someone, someone pops in the kisser, and it's like, hey, you know. So I think that's the cool thing of that: hockey guys help hockey guys, and. uh they're just so humble and down to earth. it's not like going in an NBA locker room where you're an outcast. You walk in an NHL hockey room and it's, "Hey, you know let me what can I do to help you out? How can I, how can I help serve you?" and that, that's just a cool thing, and I think it's because guys come from small towns, and it's what's so cool about the Stanley Cup hanging with the cup keepers as you guys have done, you know, when they take that cup back to everyone's small town and you get a day when you win the cup to share it with your, your squirt coach, your peewee coach, your mite coach, your high school coach, your family, your neighbors, because everybody was involved in that, right? Everybody was a part of that. And that's what's so cool that other sports just don't get, you know, to sip out of the cup and to do that. And, and uh, it's just the coolest and. That's what's so great about hockey, you know. That's what's so cool about Zamboni. You know, you, you you guys are part of the fabric of hockey. And I wrote this really cool coffee table book years ago called Frozen Memories, celebrating a century of Minnesota hockey. Terrence Fogarty, the renowned uh, hockey artist, wrote, painted the cover, and and uh, I did I did all this old history about about Zamboni, about. Refrigeration about how you know the first refrigerated rink was in White Bear Lake and and how it changed hockey right I mean Minnesota was always great because we were cold and like Canada we could you know we could play longer than everyone else but I'll tell you they have two months more ice time in Duluth where we have a cabin versus Fairmont down by Iowa where I grew up so you 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 have these advantages and refrigeration changed all that and then to be able to to clean it and surface it and to to to, to do these things to make the game repeatable. And it was, it was just, it was, so the technology, the innovation, uh, um, the environmental issues. So all the things that are involved, I mean, that's the thing. It's not like, it's you know, I've been all over the world. It's not like going to Ghana and watching kids play soccer with a big wad of tape. They don't even have shoes. Hockey, sadly, it's the sport of Kings. It requires a lot of money for rinks, for Zambonis, for equipment, you know, 50% of 11-year-olds, I believe the statistic was in Minnesota, were quitting hockey. That's sad. When you see a kid go into a tournament who's nine years old wearing a pair of $900 skates and he's got three $200 composite sticks, that's sad. There's an arms race. Here's the thing that's even more sad about hockey as we grow the game. Those statistics don't even reflect the number of kids who don't start hockey. And a lot of moms are like, I don't even want to keep up with the Joneses, man. And God forbid your kid's a goalie where you might need a third mortgage, right? So hockey's gotten too expensive. It's not like the old days in Eveleth and and Virginia and Hibbing and Chisholm and and Roseau and Warroad, International Falls, where you're wearing magazines and shin pads and you got old skates that were passed down family to family. And you know, now, and it's sad. So the CCMs, the Nikes of the world, you know, hey, if you're listening, we need, We need this to stay an affordable game so kids can keep playing. And that's a really important thing. So I'm on my soapbox a little bit. But, you know, without that happening, man, the numbers will go down.
0: Well, it's interesting you talk about that because we did a podcast that it it hasn't been released yet either. But with Graham Rustan, who's the owner and publisher of the Hockey News, I'm sure you've had to cross paths with him. And he's acquired the Christian Brothers name, which as a Minnesotan, The 1980 Olympic team had Dave Christian, the 1956 and 60, uh, Billy and Roger. And uh, I like to tout the fact that a lot of people don't realize that uh, Billy's grandson, Brock Nelson, who plays for the Islanders, a lot of people don't realize the royalty in that family uh, that has played in the league. But Graham is doing something about the cost of hockey sticks and has uh, reintroduced the Christian brothers name into the world with a wood hockey stick that is affordable four families and you know again we talked a bit about the base versus the you know the inverted versus regular pyramid and we really need to do uh, get more players and if you take a look at uh, one of the best hockey players uh in the nhl uh seth jones his dad pop i played in the nba why did he choose hockey versus uh basketball like his father played well he probably loved the game of hockey and had friends and you have to be able to introduce all the kids, as many as possible, so that the cream will rise to the top and the U.S. teams will continue to uh, hoist the cup over the Canadian teams. Hey, eh, Marty. Not
1: true, and you're seeing kids in California who maybe grew up inline skating and they made the, and they made the jump, right? That was a gateway for them to get in. And yeah, when I first met Herbie, he told me that he he drove all the way to Fairmont, my hometown, three hours. Uh, through a blizzard to start a youth hockey program. He always said the wider we build the base of the pyramid, the higher we can go. But you gotta you gotta help these communities. You know, you gotta explain to those parents, your kids shouldn't be playing basketball or wrestling. They should be playing hockey. Give them the tools, be a cheerleader, help them, you know, show them there's a pathway to success. And that was always his mission to get more kids playing the game, whether it was kids outstate Minnesota or Iowa or South Dakota or kids in disadvantaged communities where the, the demographics have changed and, you know, now we're seeing a huge shift in Minneapolis that the first ring suburbs are losing hockey, these powerhouses, Bloomington, Jefferson used to pump out 10, 12 division one players and professional players per year. Now they can barely field the team. So, you, you know, as, as the demographics change and the older communities are there that where community suburbs with kids are moving out second ring, third ring. So it's changing and we have to change and thank God there were guys like Herbie and 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 people who were willing to carry that torch to to keep kids interested in playing and thank God for the Christian brothers right and you know I'll tell you what Brock will, Nelson will tell you his biggest rival certainly ain't the Rangers or Devils it was Rozo that War Warroad rivalry was the greatest ever. I mean, those kids grew up watching hockey night in Canada, right by the border. You know, they—they're every bit as good as, uh, you know, every kid in that town. There's three rinks in a town of 1,500 people. One of the rinks is open 24/7 with a sign that says "Last one out, turn off the lights." They don't charge kids to play hockey. You know, in Rozo, you got Polaris snowmobiles. You got Anders or uh, Marvin Windows from the Marvin family. Warroad—they—they they want. Hockey is a form of entertainment. That's how hockey started in Minnesota. We had the mining companies understanding all these immigrants from Croatia and Italy and Slovakia, Sweden. They needed something to do in these long cold winters. So they brought in hockey as a of entertainment to keep them fat and happy in the winter. And hockey took off and it exploded. And that's why we are the state of hockey. This is the birthplace of of it all from Canada. They came down on James J. Hill's Railroad and we they stuck around and we we embraced it. And as a kid I'd go to the Coast to Coast hardware store before every season and buy a case of Christian Pro 130s. It was 60 bucks. That's five bucks a stick. And now I'm buying sticks for a couple hundred bucks because uh, that's what you do now. So Thank God they're trying to make it more affordable, and, and God bless them. But the the the, the Christian family, they're, they're hockey royalty here.
0: Yeah, I've been lucky enough uh, to meet many of the gentlemen while they're still alive with the 1960 team. One of them yeah. was a rink manager, Dick Rodenheiser, uh, mm-hmm. out in the town of Framingham, Massachusetts. Uh, Dick Meredith, who I'm sure your paths have crossed. Yeah. It, it, uh, it, yeah, John Mayasich, I actually got to meet him for the first time uh, last fall when I was down in Albuquerque. He's good friends with the Hubbard family, and yeah. Stanley Stanley Three has an ice rink down in Albuquerque, and he was kind enough to to buy a Zamboni machine and uh, introduced me to John Mayasich, and I'm hoping to get a podcast with uh, Mayasich and Meredith.
1: John Mayasich, people don't realize, John Mayasich, the Hubbard family, Stan Hubbard, the guy who invented direct TV, a multi-billionaire me, well, multi, media Magnet. Uh, you know, John Mariucci let him on the team because the old man had some cash. So back in the day when he was playing hockey at the University of Minnesota, he took care of all those guys. John Masich ran KSTP AM, the radio station, TV station, for decades. There was a pipeline there. And then he, of course, owned the St. Paul Vulcans, our star Junior A hockey team here, which was a pipeline for more gopher hockey. So that was the good old boy network, man. Those guys hired from within, and that's why success breeds success. The Hubbard family, another incredible hockey family. So now they're down in Albuquerque keeping it going, and that's what it's all about man it's all it's family that's what hockey is it's family
0: it's funny too because when i saw him pop up on facebook uh on a page that deals with ice rinks i recognize the name and i'm going you know what i went to hockey camp with him when the north stars had hockey camps at met center and i said i went to camp with him and i remember his dad and his grandfather having the seats right above the uh hallway that led to the locker room and they would sit there and there are two tall guys that were short, a little bit of hair, but they both wore the fedoras and uh, they were at most of the hockey games that I can remember as a kid growing up. So it's a great sport. It's a a great state. Um, I got booted out because I wasn't nice enough to live there. I didn't have enough of that Minnesota nice in me uh, to stay there, but uh, I, Yeah, I, that is. I don't think that'll happen. Not not when you guys get snow before Halloween. I don't think that uh, I'll be headed back. I'm there looking out at the soon.
1: lake right now. It's frozen, and there's six inches of snow. It's October.
0: That <laughs> <laughs> you haven't even gone trick or treating. Um, I, Ross, I could go on and on uh, with you forever, and I'm hoping what I can do is uh is shorten this one up and ask you to do a second one so that the questions that I didn't get uh, to that uh, maybe we could get to later. But I I would like to talk to you a little bit about um, the 1980 Olympic team. You're much younger than I am, so I'm happy to hear a youngster uh, is able to recollect that. Um, I, I was at the Miami Conference, which is the Minnesota Ice Room Manager Conference, a few years ago, and Mark Rosen was up talking. And he was talking and I got talking to some people outside after he was done speaking and was talking to somebody who was probably in their forties right now. And it then made me think going, somebody would have to have been born at least by 1970 for it to resonate. If you went back to 19. 65 I don't know if you would have been old enough to really or I'm sorry if 75 you would have been too young to to maybe have it resonate like it did for you or I and you're younger than I am so maybe your perspective and and what do you I'm gonna guess maybe you weren't there at Lake Placid but maybe you were um what what, what is it with the 1980 team that uh is so passionate for you um, like it is for me.
1: Well, the reason it was such a big deal. I mean, first you, you have to look at it, and, it, and, it, and in Minnesota, this is uh, this is our Mount Rushmore of, of of sports, like this. And the reason we claim it is because half the team literally was from Minnesota. Her Brooks was the coach. We know the story. He was the last guy cut from the '60 team. Um, it was a huge deal. All these Gophers, um, you know, her, the madness for Herbie was he knew that he could take these kids from Minnesota, you get Mark Johnson from Wisconsin, you get the uh, David Christian from North Dakota, and you rival them with these kids from Boston. And they they hated each other. Back in the 70s, they didn't wear face masks in hockey, so there was fighting in hockey, there was tough guys, and these teams hated each other. And Herb thought he'd become such a horrible SOB that they would come together despite him, and that was the method to his madness. But they were headquartered at, at, at uh, Bloomington Ice Garden and at the Met Center. They played a really tough schedule of uh, games that counted uh, with, I think it was the CHL. So they were playing regular games against these really tough teams, but they went to Europe to play these tough teams. But because half the team was kids from Minnesota, we claim this as our own. And these were 19, 20-year-old kids who beat the Soviet Union. This is a team that hadn't lost a game since the 60 Olympics. It was the greatest hockey team ever assembled they were soviet red army officers and their job was to win hockey games or be sent to a gulag in siberia their job was to win or else it was the cold war they didn't the russians had invaded afghanistan uh long gas lines high inflation president carter had already announced an embargo of the summer olympics i mean this is a really really bad time to be an american and along comes a hockey team, a bunch of college kids who had no business, who had just lost 10 to 3 in Madison Square Garden to the same team a couple weeks earlier. And Herbie convinced them somehow that they could do this, that they could beat them, you know, and, and it's incredible. You know, you, you hear Al Michaels, do you, believe in, do you believe in miracles? Yes. And you get goosebumps and you're like, oh, my God. So thank God for the movie Miracle, which reintroduced a whole nother generation because of Disney. So that now more kids understand about it. But uh, as a speaker, I talk about it every presentation. I share a little story about it to keep the legacy going and how much it meant to me. Because that's what sports is. It's it's these moments, right? When you're with your dad, or it's like James Earl Jones and in in, in uh, Field of Dreams. It's baseball, Ray. You know, America's been run over like a steamroller, but baseball's been this thing for 150 years, and that's you know that's hockey here. So we claim it as our own and. Uh, it's an incredible story and the story's not changing, right? It's one of those evergreen stories that that that's just become a part of the fabric of life. I keynoted that Miami conference the year before Rosie, but Mark Rosen is a renowned sportscaster here. He was at that game. He 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 remembers it, you know, covering it. And you know, at the time it was a you know, it was a, it was tape delayed. At the time, who knew? right? And the game itself wasn't even the game. It was the next game against Finland, right? That's where we won the gold medal. If we wouldn't have won that game, you know, no one's talking about this all these years later. So it was just this magical moment in time where you had all these things. It was before the internet. It was like Paul Bunyan. It was a lot of myth and lore, like really what really happened, you know? And um, when I got to play in the fantasy camp, 19 of the 20 players played Five days of serious, serious beer drinking at Lake Placid, on that rink, in that locker room. Uh, It was unbelievable, you know, for me, just just to be there. But uh, it resonates, man. You ask anyone in Minnesota about it, and it's our thing.
0: It's one of the greatest moments of my life related to this. I was lucky enough to go to Lake Placid. The company, Zamboni, has in our possession two of the machines that were used at the Lake Placid games. One of them's uh, the for, right? There, right? One of them's for, oh, yeah. I don't know if they have one up there or if that's one of the ones that was used at the game, they still are using the machine that was used on the oval that Eric Haydn, which I think is yeah. probably even as incredible that he skated in the elements, every element that he skated in, he won and he won a gold medal. And I don't know if he still has any world records or not, but that was incredible. But, in 2002, before Herb uh, was at the Olympics uh, with the U.S. team, or he, he was he coaching the French team at that time. Uh, yeah. But he was down. They had a reunion, just, just, and it just
1: was just to piss off USA Hockey. He took that job, <laughs> and they beat the Americans just to prove a point.
0: He was had the team together for the first time ever, and Mark Wells was there, and I was watching him skate, and I'm going, "Oh my God." what's wrong with this guy? This guy's an Olympian. He's got a gold medal and he had had back issues, which caused, but it was the first and last time that they were all together and they did a exhibition inside the LA convention center. And I was standing inside the Zamboni model a, which was the very first machine that Frank Zamboni built watching this game unfold and to see it and to see their eyes light up. And I tell people Marty's heard this 370,000 times. I'm sure my claim to fame is that I went to school with Mike Ramsey and I got to skate against Mike Ramsey when he was a senior and I was a sophomore and he graduated with my sister. And know, we know he went on to the U of M to win the title in 79 with Herb Brooks his last year, and then went on to win the gold medal. And what's amazing to me is he's the youngest guy on that team. And he's now 60 yeah. years old.
1: I yeah. just golfed with Rammer at the Herb Brooks foundation golf tournament and his son and his son hits the ball like 500 yards uh, there, his daughter played hockey at the university of Minnesota as well.
0: Undefeated and, team that, uh, she was yeah. on and won, won national championships. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. It's, and that's the thing. It's so cool. These guys, you know, Mike played in Buffalo for many years, came back, was an assistant with the wild for many years. And he's still, you know, the guys still live here. They're still around. They're not, they're famous, but they're not infamous. You know, they, they, they still get involved in the charity things or around, you see them at events and, uh a lot of them they just have normal jobs they're just they just work to hang out and uh it's just you know a little slice of life it's not like la where they're hollywood and they want your autograph they're just they're you'll, you'll just see them golfing hanging out playing hockey old man fat guy hockey we still play it so it's a cool it's a cool thing and of course you were a roosevelt teddy with reed larson and uh james janos aka jesse the body ventura so uh yeah you 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 know go teddies
0: yeah and it's funny because i brought that up to kenny albert uh, his uncle was on a very short-lived talk show host or a game show that had uh, Jesse Ventura as one of the co-hosts. And I said, so did you ever get to meet him? He goes, no, but he was very proud of the fact that he had a picture of Andre the giant. And I think Ric Flair was the other one. So it was great. I I'm going to hold you to uh, joining us for another one of these podcasts. So I don't keep you all day, but before we go, I've got the last, I've got three more questions. White Castle, yay or nay?
1: I keynoted their annual conference a couple years ago. My opening line, I've never keynoted. I've never eaten at your restaurant sober. True story. <laughs> before <laughs> before 1 a.m. Oh, I, we well, I got to tell you, when we were in high school, growing up in Fairmont, Minnesota, my parents were both, uh, had attended the University of Minnesota, and they had, we were very familiar with White Castle, Whitey's and they would buy cases of frozen whiteies. We'd bring them home in a cooler, and all my buddies would come over with our bad mullets. We'd drink Mountain Dew. Mom would add cheese to the whiteies. We'd, we'd nuke them in the microwave, which is a new concept back in those days. And we'd sit in our basement, and we would watch high school hockey and North Stars hockey, go for hockey, and we would eat whiteies. and man, those were the great, greatest times. The smells emitting from our basement in those days were not good. I'm just gonna say that, but I'm definitely a whiteys fan.
0: And I'm going to say that it was probably before, during, and after that the smells were uh, not so kind to the nostrils. But I, I will tell you, as I've told people, it's a, it's a sure prevention for a hangover. If you eat enough White Castles after a night out at the club, then yeah, you're not. going to be fine. And you might be old enough to, or to have gone to Pudges over in uh, St. Paul, right across from the Ford factory, where I lived for about three or four years That's in my great. youth. Okay, best pizza in Minnesota.
1: Hey, I'm going old school Jake's Pizza, Fairmont, Minnesota. I mean, they were the first ones that ever cut it in the squares. And uh, to me, when I was skating outdoor hockey, uh, we could only dream of having a Zamboni in Fairmont. Okay, we we had nothing. We had uh, shovels. And uh, the moms would, would get together and they would carpool and they would go to Jake's. and They would bring us pizza. We'd go in the warming house and we would warm up. We'd eat hot Jake's Pizza, hot cocoa, and we would skate all night. They'd bring the cars up, put the lights on. So to me, man, that was just awesome. Jake's Pizza.
0: Well, you'll be happy to know that Fairmont, the sales guy responsible for that area, was good enough at his job that Fairmont has a Zamboni machine now.
1: Awesome.
0: And, yeah. And there's you go down to Marshall where 100 years ago when I was young, I hunted and they have the red baron uh arena yeah, i think that it is and it's a very nice facility they just brand got new. a br- brand new zamboni yeah. machine
1: yeah, yeah. Schwann's a big player in town so they're supporting all the youth sports great yeah that's the fairmonts oh. arena the mcmuff the martin county multi-use facility which <laughs> now all the rich kids got their own arena when i was around we were outside but that's okay i'm happy for it
0: where can people learn more about ross bernstein
1: well, I, and, I, got a, I got a website, RossBernstein.com. So I got nothing to sell, but if you want to learn, that that's where I'm at.
0: Okay. Marty, do you have any questions for our guest before I bid him adieu for the day and uh, set up the next time we're going to get together?
2: <laughs> no, I don't. And I, I definitely look forward to part two, Ross. Uh, I have to say it's been enjoyable listening and hearing. Uh, the true Ross Bernstein I've, I've heard of you in the past I know Doug's spoken about you in the past I will have to uh, say that uh, at the initial part of this uh, podcast uh, I text uh, Doug a, a question that he never did ask but if uh, Deadpool 3 and I think it's uh, being produced uh, post-COVID uh, and when uh, Ryan Reynolds is looking for that mascot I think I know who's gonna like play that. the role.
1: Deadpool uh, is know. underrated I love Deadpool it was hilarious
2: you could be the next one to say, "Do you want to die by a zamboni in the next five seconds?" I could see you doing that because you've driven a zamboni, Ross. So I think I, I think that's your role. So if uh, Ryan Reynolds and the and the boys out uh, in the Connecticut area are listening, I think I found your uh, your next uh, set setup.
1: Well, Marty, I look forward to seeing you in Buffalo uh, next year at yes. the NARS conference. So we definitely. we
2: will
0: definitely get together and beers are on me.
2: Oh, crazy. until one AM at least.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: be careful with that, Ross. He's a Canadian. They might not be able to win Stanley Cups, but they can certainly drink a lot of beer.
2: Yeah. And my dad my dad worked at Labatt's for thirty years, so I have a little oh, bit of experience, but funny. be more than happy to share it with that's him, my friend.
0: No, That's great. Yeah. Great. Right. We want to thank everyone for listening in to another episode of Ask the Zamboni Experts podcast. Have a question for one of our experts or an idea for a future episode, please email your questions or request to info at Zamboni.com. For more information and additional podcast episodes, please visit Zamboni.com forward slash podcast or search Ask the Zamboni Experts on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. This is Doug Peters along with Marty Elliott wishing you an ice day.